Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see all of you. I know those of you who are a part of our regular fellowship, that you've been expecting a big announcement today. And, and, so, and for those of you who are guests here today, uh, I'm going to be talking about the subject of giving, but don't be alarmed by that. But God has been blessing our church with significant growth for some time now. And back in 2011, we totally renovated this building. We just, there were some things that we were able to do that enabled us to be able to fit more people in and to be able to do more with our children's ministry downstairs. So the plan at that time was that this would get us to the point of 350 to 400 in attendance on a Sunday. And we almost reached that back in January, February of 2020. And we started talking to an architect about some options of things that we could do to expand this building. And at, then with COVID, it, we just kind of lost our momentum a little bit. It was pretty hard to invite people to be part of a program that, and we couldn't even have them in church on Sunday morning. So we, we did some amazing things during that time, though. Because our church never lost a beat. We had this amazing media team, and they were already live streaming our services prior to the start of COVID. So when COVID struck, we were fully online with everything and multiple cameras. And as a result of that, we experienced numerical growth every year from 2019 right on to the present. Each year we kept having more new people. And then we also experienced financial growth, the giving of tithes and offerings from the people during those five years. So you may have heard me mention this before, but an organization did an assessment of our church and they said, you're part of 1% of churches in North America that actually experienced that growth from year to year. So I stuck my chest out and said, thank you very much. And I'll, I'll mention that as often as I can. But, but that's incredible. So we are at a point now where we've kind of reached that 350 to 400 on Sunday morning. And I know some of you were having trouble finding a seat here this morning. So we have to do something. And it's not just up here that's the issue, but there's crowding downstairs in our children's ministry. Every Sunday, uh, some mother comes up to me and says, uh, my infant didn't fit into the nursery today because there's a maximum on the number of kids allowed in there. And then there's crowding in the classrooms. And then also... We don't have a secure children's area. A children's area shouldn't be one where adults pass through to go to the bathroom or go to the kitchen or just even wander through there to go out the other exit. And we've done our best to get that security, but we still need to do something else. So we've looked at a couple of off-site locations one of them was, uh, some of you may be familiar 
with where the Canadian Tire used to be located. There is uh, a Sobeys at the corner of Lacewood Drive and Dunbrack Street, and then you see this big parking lot at the other end of that property, and then where there used to be a building. Well, that's where the Canadian Tire was. And when they moved out to their new location, I was up, I was walking around that building and determining how big it was. For And then I looked at the various things in that building and I thought, wow, the garage, that could become a gymnasium. And then there was a beautiful big window in one other part. And I said, that's where we could have a daycare. So I was dreaming of all the things that God could do with that building. And I finally found someone who knew the price of the place, and the price was $14 million. And, ooh, okay, <laughs> we'll look at something else. But then uh, James Stevenson, who's the other pastor here with me, he and I were looking across the street at what's going on in Rockingham South. And James counted eight cranes that were in operation at the same time. So we said, the people are moving to us. So maybe there's something that we can do with our building to enable us to grow to another level. And then at that point, we could go and, and plant another church or another campus. And so I have a, a brief video here that is going to begin with uh, going through the children's ministry area. And then we'll move up to the, the main level. But what we're looking at doing is building a 60-foot by 60-foot building in the parking lot. It will be eight feet away from our existing building because we can't expand this. You see those big rafters that are up in the ceiling, and they go right down to our foundation. So we can't bust out that wall. But we will have an eight-foot-wide uh, passageway over to that other building. So guys downstairs, show the video. So this is the entrance into our existing basement and we will take the nursery out of there and that will be the new check-in area for the parents. So then we'll still have our usual classrooms on the right-hand side and the left-hand side. And now here is going down to go into the, the new section. Three classrooms right there on the left for most likely grades three, four, and five. And then as we walk down the hallway, that's a junk room at the door. And then this next door will be another big classroom. And then this glass door is a second big classroom on that side. The media room will be further down with a door that doesn't allow them to get into where the children are. And then this will be the, the big group room for the children. So they will gather there for their worship time and story time. And then they split up to their various age groups to uh, finish up with the program that they have. So that will be an excellent room. And then some of the kids will stay in there for their class afterwards. And this is just a picture of what our, well, we actually have a, not a budding architect in the church, but Ross Manube, he just finished his degree. And he's the one that uh, came up with that rendition for us. So here we go. We, I, I don't know who these people are. I've been trying to find somebody that I know, and I haven't found one yet. 
we will still use the existing entrance, but now no wall, but three uh, offices on the right-hand side. I'll get my office back again. There's the check-in center. Those are bathrooms through those doors. And then now we're uh, turning around and we're heading into the new section. So you see now you have 253 seats, so you'll all fit in better. And then everybody's dressed up more than we do here, but that's okay. And then we're going to have a balcony as well, which will get us 70 more seats. And there's a shot coming up from the balcony looking down to the front. So for those of you who come late, that will be your spot <laughs> up on the balcony. But we're really, uh, we're really hoping this works out. We're still waiting for some test results from holes that have been drilled in our parking lot. And we're hoping there's no big rock there that's going to create problems. But we are going to start a capital campaign as of today. And I'm going to be sharing a series of messages between now and November 5th. And on November 5th, that's what we are calling Commitment Sunday. And we will be asking you to give above and beyond your regular offerings over a three-year period toward this project. So we'll be revealing more about it over the coming weeks as well. But uh, I know one uh, thing that we're going to do today is give you a brochure as you're leaving. And my copy is here. But uh, in the center of this will be frequently asked questions. And we've tried to think about the questions that you might have even before you ask them, and we have the answer. And number one is, this came from me, and I'll tell you why. Will there be an adequate kitchen in this edition? And the answer is yes. And the women that were here in 2011 still hate me. <laughs> Because they had a very nice kitchen at that time, but we said we need this space for the children. So they were squeezed into this little nine-foot-wide and six-foot-deep room, and then people are trying to prepare communion. They're trying to compare, uh, prepare coffee at the same time, and it's just horrible. So there will be a kitchen up here, a full-size kitchen that everybody can fit into, and then the bathrooms would be here on this platform. So we would have a big open area for uh, being able to gather before and after the services so we wouldn't have what we had today. I couldn't tell who was coming from the 9.30 service, who was coming to the 11 because of the crush out there in our cafe. So there will be a much bigger area. And then during the week, that area will serve as a hall and for various other functions, youth group. And then we won't be taking all the chairs away every time we want to do something in here that's not uh, from the worship service. So we'll, we'll be giving you more information on that. But the campaign is called Making Room for More which is exactly what we need to do. And I know you have questions, and, and we'll be answering them, and there will be opportunities to ask those questions as well. Now, in Forbes magazine, there was an article called Famous Tightwads, and it was about famous wealthy people who actually were known for being a little on the tight side. 
John Paul Getty, who was the Bill Gates of his time, he actually had a payphone in his house. So this was prior to cell phones. And any time a guest wanted to use the phone, there's the payphone. Go ahead and pay for it. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt, who was a famous and wealthy U.S. president, he bummed money off his valet in order to put something in the offering plate on Sunday mornings. Cary Grant, the black and white uh, TV and movie days, he had a guest home. And whenever people would stay in his guest house, he would count the number of logs that were in the, his shed, and then he would count the number again at the end and determine how many they had used, and he would charge them for it. And Lee Iacocco, he revived the Chrysler Corporation in the 1980s, and he was known to buy himself expensive gifts, and then he would turn around and give the bills to the people that worked for him. But, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we probably fall short in this category. Have you ever known people who would wash disposable plates and then use them again? When I grew up, we were told to very carefully unwrap our gifts at Christmas time because we were going to use that paper the next year. And I hated that. But then as an adult, I found myself saving those the Christmas gift bags that you get, that's reusable. And then I would save the boxes that gifts would come in and be wrapped in. And my family would give me grief about it. But then the next Christmas, they're looking for a box. They're looking for a gift bag. Hey, Dad. Hey, Greg. Could I have one of those bags? But here is the worst tightwad I ever heard of. A guy that forced his family to use the same piece of dental floss every day. They shared it every day. And so Christians, we're to be different. And we should lead the way in generosity. And over these next four weeks, we're going to study that very topic and we are going to look at the ingredients of being a generous person and a generous Christian. And it's not so much to do with giving at offering time, but it's a lifestyle of generosity. Because Jesus said, a man's life does not exist in the abundance of his possessions. And in the Beatitudes, he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we should be generous in everything. So what do you like when you go to a restaurant? My wife Pat and I went to the Canton Gardens across the street on Tuesday night. And we had a beautiful meal. The waiter was terrific. So we left a 20% tip. We weren't going to just leave a 5% tip and then a little advice there, come to church. You're missing out on something special. But we gave that tip. And what do you do when that little girl guide comes knocking on your door? Do you say, get lost, little girl? Or do you buy one of her boxes of cookies? We should be the first to volunteer for our kids' sports teams. We should be the first to be there coaching them or helping out. We should be the first ones to teach in our Glow Kids program. We should be the first ones to help out with outreach projects. We have the Ark Sunday Suppers coming up soon. We should be the first ones to bring food in for our food bank. 
Psalm 37 says, The wicked borrow and don't pay back, but those who do right give freely to others. Now, the term a Christian miser is actually a contradiction in terms. It's an oxymoron. It's like calling something jumbo shrimp, even though it's a little bigger. But how can you call it a jumbo shrimp? So as Christians, we are to be the most charitable people on earth. Back a number of years ago, I used to get a phone call annually from the Heart and Stroke Foundation, and they were conducting a fundraising event. It was a run on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, and each time I would tell them, why are you calling the churches? We are in worship on Sunday mornings. We're not going to be able to participate in this. And then I said, if you scheduled this for Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, you'd get the Christians involved. And the Christians are the most generous people, so you would have a much more successful event. But they never listened to me. They finally stopped calling me, is what I found out. But the Bible tells us that freely we have received and freely we give. So that's our motivation. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul uses an example to demonstrate how we are to be generous individuals. And this is a virtue. It's a virtue that doesn't come easily. And we all have to learn to change our behavior. So notice some of the marks of generosity. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace God gave the churches in Macedonia. And the grace that Paul's talking about is the grace of giving. Paul is on his third missionary journey, and he's going from town to town and city to city throughout the Roman Empire. And everywhere he goes, he collects an offering from the Christians that are there. And he's taking up this offering to be able to help out the Christians in the church back in Jerusalem. They are undergoing tremendous persecution. They're also experiencing a famine in that country as well. Many of them have lost their livelihood. Many of them have lost their lives. So these donations are then going to be used to ease the suffering of the Christians in the spiritual mother church. That's where it all began in Jerusalem. Now, the Macedonian church, they're doing really well in generosity. But the church in Corinth, they're struggling a little bit in that area. So Paul uses the Macedonians as an example to try and inspire the Corinthians. And he shows no hesitation, no embarrassment by saying, you know, I hate to even talk to this or talk about this or I hate to even ask you for a donation. There's no hesitation whatsoever. He understands that Christianity has at its base generosity. And the Corinthian Christians weren't doing their part. And they'd made a promise that they would help and they weren't fulfilling it. So here are the five characteristics of a generous Christian as given to us by the Apostle Paul. A generous Christian gives gracefully. And throughout Scripture, Paul uses different words to describe uh, giving, but the one he used most often is the word grace. Giving is an act of grace. 
And the truth is that it's a virtue that we want to develop to become a part of our daily lives and not just something that we do occasionally. In verse 7 we read, You are rich in everything, in faith, in speaking, in knowledge, in truly wanting to help, and in the love you learn from us. In the same way, be strong also in the grace of giving. So when you pray, what do you pray for? Do you pray that you would grow as a Christian, that you would grow as an individual? Do you pray that you would have more courage in sharing your faith? Or maybe that I want to be more faithful? Or maybe you pray, I want to become a stronger disciple maker. Or I want to have more wisdom. And then we just go on down through the list. But how about generosity? Do we ever pray to grow in that area? A generous Christian also gives unconditionally. They have been tested by great troubles, and they are very poor, but they gave much because of their great joy. So the Macedonian church, they were having extreme troubles financially. They were very poor, but somehow they were able to be generous in spite of that. And the translation for extreme poverty is actually rock-bottom destitution. And that's what they were experiencing. So how do you do that? How do you have grace in giving when you're in a tough way financially? See, most people think when I'm wealthy, when I get a little surplus, then I'll be generous with my family, with my faith, or whatever it happens to be. But that's not how it works. We don't just give out of the extra that we have. A little boy went to visit Santa Claus. And he was sitting on Santa's lap, and Santa said, what do you want for Christmas? And the boy said, I want a toy truck and a teddy bear and a video game. And then he added, I would like two of each one of those. And so Santa says, why do you want two? Isn't that a little excessive? Well, my mom says I need to be generous and share. But, but that's not generous and sharing. That's giving out of the surplus. That's hoarding up the extra. Generosity isn't getting more than we need and then giving half of it away. In Mark chapter 12, uh, Jesus commends a widow that gave two mites in the offering at the tabernacle. And two mites is actually worth less than one cent today. And so he said that she gave more than anyone else that day. Why? Because she gave everything that she had. She just didn't give some out of her surplus. That woman's sacrificial giving was a model for the disciples to follow. So back in 2011, when we had the capital campaign to do this renovation, I started talking about it like I am here this morning, and I wasn't asking for any money or any pledges or anything at the time. But there was this older woman in the church. Her name was Chris, and she'd had a lot of mental struggles and physical struggles over the year, but she was faithful. And I don't know the rest of your giving and all that stuff, but I, Chris always told me hers, and I knew her income was $1,100 a month from old age pension, and then she received a supplement. She had no Canada pension. She had no RRSPs, and she gave $100 of that to the church each month. But then after that first day when I was speaking about 
what we needed to do. She came up to me and she said, Greg, I know that we need to do something with our building to expand the inside so that we can make more disciples. But she said, there's not really much I can do. But she said, I'm going to give another 20... Every time I talk about it, I get emotional. But I'm going to give another $25 a month. And we thought... $25 a month, that's not much. But you multiply that by 36 months over the three years, and that was our first $1,000. So a generous Christian gives unconditionally, and a generous Christian gives joyfully. They gave because of their great joy. Now, you could move partially through this whole teaching and say, okay, I know I'm supposed to give, and then miss the whole concept of the mentality throughout the process. It's not to give grudgingly. It's not to give reluctantly. It's not to say, boy, I hate to do this. If you've ever had to collect for anything, maybe your child's sports team, and you're trying to get some people to sponsor so that you can have a silent auction or something like that, or maybe you do collect for the Canadian Cancer Society, and you go to doors asking people to support that, or the Heart and Stroke Foundation, and you know you're going to cross paths with people who are going to give, but they're going to let you know how unhappy they are about it. Okay, I guess I will. Or is it a year already since you were here the last time? Or how much are you, that's that much for a chocolate bar? I can get them cheaper out at Walmart. But 2 Corinthians 9, 7 tells us, Each of you should give as you have decided in your heart to give. You should not be sad when you give, and you should give because you you should not give because you feel forced to give. God loves the person who gives happily. So a generous Christian also gives bountifully. And we pick this up in verse 3. I can tell you that they gave as much as they were able and even more than they could afford. So how do you give bountifully? How do you give beyond what you are able? The early Christians in Macedonia were a tremendous example of generosity because they gave away something they knew they were going to need in the future, yet they trusted that God would take care of their future needs. There's another great story back in 1 Kings chapter 17, and in this incident, Elijah is instructed to go to the home of a widow in Zarephath, and they are experiencing a tremendous drought in the country, and it's all because of Elijah, by the way, because he commanded the rain to stop in order to bring the king to his knees. But this has also affected everybody else that lives in that country. And they were suffering. So we pick up in verse 10. So Elijah went to Zarephath, and when he reached the town gate, he saw a widow gathering wood for a fire. And Elijah asked her, Would you bring me a little water in a cup so I may have a drink? 
And as she was going to get his water, Elijah said, Please bring me a piece of bread too. And the woman answered, As surely as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. I have only a handful of flour in a jar and only a little olive oil in a jug. I came here to gather some wood so I could go home and cook our last meal. My son and I will eat it and then die from hunger. Don't worry, Elijah said to her. Go home and cook your food as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread from the flour you have and bring it to me. Then cook something for yourself and your son. The Lord, the God of Israel says, that jar of flour will never be empty and the jug will always have oil in it until the day the Lord sends rain to the land. So the woman went home and did what Elijah told her to do. And the woman and her son and Elijah had enough food every day. The jar of flour and the jug of oil were never empty, just as the Lord through Elijah had promised. So trusting God is something we do on a daily basis. And he has promised that the blessings won't run out. And they won't always necessarily be physical blessings. They'll be spiritual. He will be acting in so many ways. In Luke, Jesus said, Give and you will receive. You will be given much, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will spill in your lap. And notice how he finishes. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. Now, when billionaire Bill Gates and his wife were expecting their first child, he didn't want to burden his child with wealth. So he set out to give away 95% of his wealth before the child was born. Now, the 5% that that kid ended up with was $700 million, so you don't need to feel sorry for him. And we assume that he could squeak by on that amount. But it just shows us how sometimes people just can't be generous. The fifth way that a generous Christian gives is spontaneously. In verse 4, no one told them to do it, but they begged and pleaded with us to let them share in this service for God's people. So they were begging to be part of the offering. Can you imagine wanting to be a part of something so badly that you're actually begging people to allow you to do that? You don't want any credit. You just want to give. And it would be like someone saying, I don't want to be paid. Just let me work for you. Now, I unintentionally ended up doing that for some relatives. They were building a nine-hole golf course, and I was down there helping, thinking, you know, they're, they're going to give me some money out of this. But I was building bridges, and I was lugging heavy rocks, and I, where there was a little stream going through the golf course, I was making ponds with those rocks, and I never got paid a cent. The, I got the privilege of trading my old golf clubs in and buying a new set of golf clubs at their wholesale price, but not a cent beyond that. And then I realized that was around the time I had my first concussion. So I was probably a little slow at that time as well. But we're here to give, and it's without promise of recognition, and, without, and we're to do it spontaneously. Now, we can't finish without actually being fair and looking at the Corinthians. Uh, 
Because Paul encourages the Corinthians to emulate the Macedonians. We're in verse 6. So we ask Titus to help you finish this work of grace since he is the one who started it. You are rich in everything, in faith, in speaking, in knowledge, in truly wanting to help, and in the love you learn from us. In the same way, be strong also in the grace of giving. I am not commanding you to give, but I want to see if your love is true by comparing you with others that really want to give. So did you catch that? I'm not commanding you, but generosity in our lives seems to be the spiritual barometer of our faith and of our love. And the Corinthians had promised, but they hadn't fulfilled. And there's a big difference between promise and performance. In verse 9, Paul said, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know that Christ was rich, but for you he became poor, so that by his becoming poor, you might become rich. So Jesus is the ultimate example of uh, uh, the ultimate giver. Now here's a poem that depicts Jesus and his incarnation, God becoming a human being. He who is almighty became a suckling baby. He who, whom the heavens cannot contain was enclosed in a woman's womb. He before whom the seraphim continually cry, holy, 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 was born of a sinner into a world under the dominion of sin. He who is unchanging went through nine months of constant change to enter a world of change. He who is all-knowing had to communicate through baby cries. He who is infinite became a microscopic cell. He who is love was born outside and in because no one had room for his laboring mother. He who is creator became a creature. He who has always been spirit took on the awkwardness of a human body. He who is eternal allowed himself to be bound by time. He who is just was accused of being an illegitimate child. He who alone is self-sufficient had to be cleansed and nursed. He who is life was born with a death warrant around his neck. Can there be a greater mystery? Can there be a greater miracle? Paul's goal seems for all to be involved in the lifestyle of giving, and all who participate can receive the blessing. We do not want you to have troubles while other people are at ease, but we want everything to be equal. Now, Paul wasn't somehow trying to promote the idea of socialism, that all people should have an equal amount of money, because if you read his writings, you know that's not what he teaches. But he is talking about equal participation, about each person being involved. But each one would be involved at a different level, depending on the, what God has blessed them with. So that's what we'll be looking for throughout the course of this building campaign. We'll be looking for equal participation from people. God has supplied all the needs necessary to accomplish the task laid before us, and it's just a matter of us coming to God open-handed and not closed-fisted. There was one pastor who at the beginning of a capital campaign in his church made this announcement. I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is that God has provided all the funding that we're going to need 
The bad news is that it's still in your wallets and in your bank accounts and, and in your property. And, and, and that's so, well, yeah, that's what we're going for. <laughs> but a man gave a testimony at a church during a building campaign. And he got up in front of the crowd and he said, as most of you know, I'm a millionaire and I've been quite successful and I owe it all to God. But he said, I can look back to one moment when God started to bless me. I had just moved to this town. I had nothing. I just started a job and I had $1 for my day's wages. So this is quite a few years ago. And that night I went to a worship service in a church. And there was a missionary there, and he was talking about his work. And at the end of that service, I, I was so touched by what he said that I reached in and I gave him everything I had. I gave him that dollar. And from that point on, God blessed me. And then he sat down, and everybody was in awe. And, and an elderly woman was sitting in the pew that he came back to sit in. And she leaned over, and she said, I dare you to do it again. And the story stops there. I don't know if he did. Generosity isn't something that happens one time and, and then we move on. Generosity is a lifestyle. It's the very essence of who we are, our existence. It's being generous on every occasion. And the last thing I want you to see is verse 5. And I saved it for the last because this is the key verse. And they gave in a way they did not expect. They gave first themselves to the Lord. This is what God wants. And understand this. God doesn't want your money. And this is a concept that's difficult for Christians to understand when we talk about generosity and money. And the amazing thing is that he wants you. And these Macedonians, they first gave themselves to the Lord and they gave themselves completely. It wasn't a matter of trying to buy some type of favor from God, but it was surrendering themselves completely and having a spirit of generosity. And that's what we want to have in our lives. It's not just in this capital campaign, but it's throughout all aspects of our lives because that is what is going to give hope to this world.